Hello everyone and welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I'm your host Ads Lyson. On the podcast today, Gunny Bo Hancock returns. We talk about his time in Baghdad and Afghanistan. We also talk about how he became an instructor trainer at the Martial Arts Center of Excellence in Quantico, Virginia, teaching the Marine Corps Martial Arts program. Teaching at MAP is what brought him to British soil, working at the Commando Training Center teaching Raw Marines close combat. Enjoying my conversation with... Gunny Bo Hancock. Bo Hancock, welcome back to the Grumpy Surf Podcast. How you doing, brother? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, no problem. Uh, what have you been up to? Uh, well, just trying to uh, get through COVID. I think the same as uh, both our countries and you know i'm actually packing up and getting ready to uh, head back to the states uh in the next uh, couple months um so a lot of admin going on with that trying to buy a house first house finally decided to sort my life out and stop paying somebody else's mortgage so uh about time i took my own advice were you looking to buy a house uh north carolina yeah yeah so that's gonna be uh the base i'm moving to next um still waiting to find out where but I'll be, uh, yeah, North Carolina. Is that where you wanted to go? Or did yeah, you, have you know, I haven't been stationed there before. I mean, I've visited, you know, a couple times, but uh, I've been primarily uh, a Hawaii and a California guy, uh, you know, barring Virginia in here. So I think it's time to kind of, you know, see the rest of the Marine Corps. Uh, looking forward to it. What job are you doing there? Uh, I'll be a company gunny, uh, hopefully. Uh, there's a few different jobs I could go to based on, uh, you know, what they need. Um, and where they need me. Um, but I'm hoping for a, a company gunny role. So that's, you know, something I haven't done yet. And it's, uh, it's, it's a fun job. You know, you're, you're really looking after the guys and, you know, advising as far as what, what needs to happen. So it's, it's pretty, it's a very important role. I'll leave it like that. Yeah. Are you, did you, do you know whether that battalion's going to be getting on any deployments anytime soon? Do you know nah, that far ahead? No, nah, I still don't know which to, which battalion, um, just because there's so much up in the works uh, in the world. But, uh, you know, there's, there's, I think, six, eight, around about eight infantry battalions there. Um, you know, there's a few to choose from, so it'll just be uh, who needs me when I get there and then uh, what's going on with them. But it's safe to say within probably the next year or so, I'll be going somewhere. Yeah. How are you uh how are you finding your mental state with transfer your transitioning going back to being back in America cuz I, I would say that being in the UK and then going back there you've been in what 3 years now. Yeah, just over. So be about three and a half years here uh when I when I touch back to American soil and obviously I've been back for like some courses and some training and whatnot, but I I haven't spent more than like probably a month and a half in the states. Uh, maybe two months since I've been here the entire time. Uh, so I, I think it'll be a little bit of a transition. Um, you know, saying is once a Marine, always a Marine. Uh, but I would say independent duty. Uh, you know, it allows you to see where your left and right lateral limits are. You got a lot more freedom of movement um, to make your own decisions. And, you know, obviously I'll be under someone else's command philosophy and have to, you know, conduct business a certain way. So there'll be there'll always be an adjustment going somewhere new. But you know, I'm looking forward to the challenge and, you know, working with other people. Have you done all the traveling that you wanted to do around the UK? Gone on to see all the places you wanted to see? Not all of it, thanks COVID. But uh, I, I, we've really made the most as far as what we could, balancing it with work. You know, still trying to uh, not steal a wage while I'm over here. 
but you know, I think we've, we've hit quite a few countries. Um, we were able to visit some, you know, this year, but our big Easter uh, trip, just like everyone else in, in the world, kind of got canceled because of COVID. So we missed out on Slovenia and a couple other places we really wanted to go. But we, we've done quite a bit of traveling here. Yeah, I could imagine. I mean, our country's not, but, you know, on the grand scheme of things, you know, I think you can put like a couple of hundred United Kingdoms into America. Yeah, I mean, it's a massive place. Um, but as you know, you've been over there. It's You could drive for hours and hours and everyone speaks the same. Like, you know, I drive 20 minutes here and, you know, I basically don't understand what anybody's saying. You know, it took a while to understand uh, how tightly knit and uh, the regional accents are. So that was, I find that fun, you know. Uh, I think I, I think the diversity you have for such a tight area is, is pretty awesome. Yeah, it is really weird, isn't it? Um I'm from Birmingham, and there are there are at least five or six different accental dialects that come out of that. You know, yam yam. You got Southern Birmingham, Eastern Birmingham, Northern Birmingham, and then somewhere between Birmingham and Manchester and Liverpool, which is only an eighty mile gap. Yeah, that accent completely flips itself on its head. But also, going north, if you go west, you've got Wales, and again. That's a complete, it's got a different a whole language. Other language. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, and I think that's really, really awesome as well. You know, the heritage they have and how the signs are written in both, you know, to, to force you to at least look um, at the history and at the, at the language. I think that, you know, that's really important. And, you know, obviously American has different dialects, but I wouldn't say it was, it would be as pronounced as it is here. And I certainly wouldn't go through as many in a four hour drive as you do here. So what I want to do is we left off, um, we'll go back to where we left off. So we were talking about 2003, um, we just done the initial invasion into Iraq um, and you were going to just start talking about a little bit about Baghdad. Uh, do you want to start from the beginning with that? Yeah, so uh, I, I think I covered... And, you know, looking back and I tried to catch up and listen to the majority of again, I think I kind of spoke about, uh, you know, losing my granddad. Um, and that was uh, quite Reese, like quite a quick time in Baghdad. Um, obviously, it, it took a much, you know, I think it was three weeks um, from when we crossed to get all the way to Baghdad. And, you know, saw a bit of the action there, a bit of the resistance. But then we got the, you know, street to street and took over the the palace inside of Baghdad. Uh, honestly, I think it was only there uh, about a week, maybe a week and a half before I got that that message, and I had to make that decision to to head out. Um, but but Baghdad was one of the shortest, most intense times of my life. Uh, uh, there's a nice documentary out about One Fives, um, well Charlie Company specific, uh, their their march up and kind of what happened over there, and it's called uh, Make Peace or Die. Uh, it's a little documentary uh, a friend of mine did years and years ago. Uh, a guy by the name of Sam Hunter. It's kind of hard to find, but I've got an old copy of it somewhere. But, uh, you know, we set up shop and... Uh, what am I messing this up? No, Standard. <laughs> but uh, we, we went all the way up and we're doing, you know, sustained operations there. And once we took over the palace, which was, uh, you know, pretty intense, then it was that first bit of now we own something that we're going to actually keep, which the whole way up was essentially get there as fast as possible, 
tracks breaking left, right, and center, bump plan, 40 guys into an Amtrak. But now we actually have a spot that we're going to hang on to. And, you know, we finally ditched those NBC suits, which was a, a godsend because they probably stopped working the third day. Honestly, you just smell yourself coming through it. But getting up there, uh, actually getting into Baghdad, uh, we made a, uh, the whole battalion made essentially a, a wrong turn. So we, uh, we had a massive ambush we drove through and someone was, you know, had the great idea of like, oh man, we messed it up. We took a wrong turn. So we got to come back through it and see it from the other side. And uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Custer, he's you know machine gunner with me. We were essentially on opposite sides, and then we got to see what the other one had done on the way through. So, <laughs> oh, hey, ah, see what you did there, bud. Um, but it, it's 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 pretty vivid still. And, you know, there's other deployments where things are, you know, sharp in your mind. But I think for it happening over 17 years ago, to have such, you know, sight, sound, images, and memories, and even the smells... And I think it speaks to how it imprints on the mind and the, the resonating effects it has, which, you know, you know, anyone that's been on operations, been anyone that's been through anything traumatic inside or outside of the military uh, can attest to that such a, an event can just imprint on you. But, uh, you know, I, I was like I said, I was only there. I'm not going to war story it up. I was only there about a, a week and a half before I got that Red Cross message. And uh, I made that tough decision, um, you know, as a was a 20 at the time, 20 year old Lance Corporal, um, you know, realizing the man that, you know, raised me died. And, you know, my old grandmother was kind of there having to get through it on her own. And I got the word that, you know, we're retrograding in a couple of days anyways. Ah, you know, to this day you look back and everyone's got regrets, but like, you know, did I do the right thing? How much did I do for my grandma leaving? Could I have done anything more? But, you know, we didn't, we didn't take any casualties after that. So, <clears throat> But you always, I'll always feel like I, I kind of left my boys there and that, that stuck with me for quite some time. And I think as an, an older man, I kind of made peace with it. But as far as hangups go, that's probably one of the biggest ones in my life is having made that decision and coming to terms with it. Yeah. When you, when you make those sort of decisions, um, luckily I, I say luckily, luckily I haven't had to make those sort of decisions before. I was kind of forced to because like we discussed before, hmm. you know, I, I got injured and I got Kazivak back. And, uh, and I never had that transitional piece, like probably what you're talking about yeah. there, where, you know, you you were there from the start, but you were never there at the end when everyone came when everyone came back, which I think is that difficult situation to try and comprehend mentally. But as a, but as an older guy now, and look at, looking back at it, from my perspective, looking at, look, looking at what happened to you, you've got to make those difficult decisions because at the end of the day, if you hadn't have gone back to that funeral and, and said your goodbyes in the ways that we do, then I think that would have had more of a negative impact on your life than it would have been like, oh, I can go and visit his grave when I get back. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I think as, you know, you know, Marines, whether it's, you know, Royal or US, I think we, we tend to focus on the negative decisions and maybe not the positive impact that, you know, one decision might have had. And, you know, the, 
the smile and, you know, catharsism, like the, the result that probably gave my grandmother, who's still cracking on today, which is absolutely amazing. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you're right. But, you know, it, at least wounded, you didn't have a choice. And I know that's like such a horrible thing to say, but, you know, it, it kind of removes, it does remove the feeling, but it removes that choice. Like, you know, you, you get injured, you, you have to go. And the weird one for me, and I, I don't know if you had you know, how much time you had to spend in hospital or, you know, like rehab and all that after your injury, but I ended up going home, dealing with all of that, sorted the family out, everything good to go. And then I went back to my unit. So I was there waiting for them when they came home off the buses, oh, okay. which is like, uh, I don't, you know, obviously I don't know how Band of Brothers feels, but like, it's like that trying to relink with a unit and you, you know, you essentially missed out on a good piece of the retrograde and it, you know, it's feeling in the back, but then again, I went back and I was probably there a few days before they got back, but there was guys that never went for, you know, X, Y, and Z, whether it be house problems or physical injury. And they had true anguish. Like sitting stateside while everyone did the push and crossed and, you know, Baghdad and the whole bit. So, I mean, I imagine that's probably 10 times worse for them. But even just coming home a couple of weeks early was uh, kind of graded me. What was the, you, you talked about a few minutes ago about mm. the, the intensity of, of that week or you know, up to 14 days of going into Baghdad. Can you just talk about oh, that yeah. a little bit? So, and so that was, I mean, that's a while, but there's so many like documentaries and stuff out on it. And, um, I actually just listened to a, a good, good podcast, uh, the other day. I don't remember the number of it, but, uh, obviously it's a Jocko podcast. I'm a huge fan of Jocko Willing, his podcast, the people he has on this podcast. Um, but it was retired Star Major, uh, that I met when I, I worked for him, uh, at Quantico, Star Major, uh, LeHue. And he was talking about the, the exact same push. Um, obviously, he'd done quite a few deployments at that point anyways. But uh, just the amount of sleep you didn't get. It, looking back, if, if I wrote it all down and tried to remember it all, it, what the human body is capable was highlighted on those like three to three and a half weeks it took us to get up there. Obviously, never been done before. And people cheering like this massive... Um, maneuver warfare victory as far as um, how fast uh, uh, General Mattis got us up there. But, you know, was, you're on next to no sleep. And as the, the tracks uh, eventually, because we're in the Amtraks, eventually start breaking down because, you know, ship to shore assets not meant to putt around in the desert for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles. And, Doesn't sound too unfamiliar at all. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know how. They kept going, um, but you know, credit to the the Amtrakers and the mechanics and just the the guys with way more technical uh, knowledge of me to keep those things running. But as they bumped and you know things got tighter and tighter and tighter, and as you know, you know, you ended up forty guys stuffed in there, and you know it just paid to be a machine gunner because we were hanging out the sides on the top. Like, thank God I'm not down there in the bottom. And you know, when we're still wearing chemical suits, and you got somebody you know, two rows down, tying your left boot, somebody the other side tying your right boot, you're doing up somebody else's boot, you can't see what you're doing. You know, it, it, it was pretty wild. So you, you'd almost crave going outside when 
you know, there was a bit of contact because then you could at least get out of there and see what was going on, you know, RPGs impacting or going overhead. And you're just like, oh man, come on. But then you just got a bit of fresh air as well. So, I, I mean, you, there's times where you're getting 15, 20 minutes of sleep at a time and you might get two or three of those a day uh, as, uh, you know, water became more precious. And uh, Sergeant Major in that podcast, you know, highlighted that a lot of the water that was there, you had to save for the vehicle because it's the vehicle getting you to the fight. So, you know, you and your buddy are splitting a canteen. You're down to a, you know, a ration between two pers- two people for the day. And then, you know, you roll upside any kind of convoy. It's just like beg, borrow, steal, heavy emphasis on the steal just to, uh, I mean, you're leaving in 10 minutes, ransack the vehicle for what it's worth and we're moving. But, uh, you know, it, the, the camaraderie there and the absolute unselfishness of the people that I, I served alongside was the highlight for me is that there, I, I can't remember a selfish act the entire time as far as making sure your buddy got sleep. Do you have food? Have you eaten today? So I think that that op tempo was unbelievable for those, for those three, uh, three weeks pushing up. I mean, it's hard to compare, you know, I mean, you're talking about three weeks to get to Baghdad and you got world war two, you know, Falklands, like guys that like months and months and months. And then obviously going back and then doing ganders in Iraq and sustained operations for like six months. It's kind of hard to, Oh yeah. The, the push was this big deal. I mean, it, it had intermittent periods, but you know, you didn't really see the brunt of it till you got to like solder city or, you know, um, Baghdad. I think you hit the nail on the head there, and I have, and again, I'm going to use that this this again. I have talked about this before, um, where being a soldier is has this element of fantasy with it. Mm. Yeah, especially in this day and age with technology, um, or even films, is that you see the kinetic side of it and the action and the build up to that kinetic side of it, which is probably, you know, a few hours before something happens and a couple of hours after something happens, what you don't see, and this is where your grassroots of soldiering and mental strength and your training and your experience from your your peers and your ranks above come into action more so is that they don't see the bits in between where you're walking 20 30 miles to from one position to another and you might have had like half a liter of water and some biscuits and something like that because you haven't had a resupply and you've had to suck it up because if you don't get there and you don't continue walking you're just going to get left there because there's no one there to pick you up. And and that's where like this mental fortitude of like just getting on with it that people don't see. People don't see the bits where you're, you've been told, right, you need to dig a, a battle trench or a fire trench that needs to be waist deep. Why do I need to dig it that deep? Well, there's an IDF threat around but I've been walking all day with all my kit and I'm absolutely fucked <laughs> and I've had no I've had like an hour's sleep. But if I don't dig this trench well enough, then if we get mortared or one oh five or one oh seven, we're in trouble. Yeah. 
Uh, and when you start, when you leave somewhere to go into battle, or you 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 go, you know that there's going to be kinetic stuff happening along the way. The ninety percent of it is just miserable, and it's the times where you know where we get the commando values from. You know, um, cheerfulness under the face of adversity is one that sticks out relentlessly with me because if you can't make light of something that's absolutely horrendous then you're going to go into those deep dark parts of your brain and your soul and you're going to get sucked down with it and that's going to have a negative effect on your performance as well so my point being i'm just going to find a mega (laughs) my point being is that those bits that build up to the kinetic part that last for like two or three hours that's kind of what makes it, and that's what you're talking about there. You, you know, when you listen back to this, you haven't talked about firefights. You've talked about the shit in the middle, not being able to sleep. Um, you know, looking after each other. That's the common bond that, regardless of what force you're serving, whether it's the USMC, your Italians, your British, your Russian, your whatever, Germans, whatever it is. Everybody who serves has that common bond, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it, we focus a lot more when talking to each other on the, the less glamorous pieces because the firefight's the firefight and yeah, all right, we've all done one of those. But it's it's the less glam it's the snoring in the back of an Amtrak because you're just trying to stay conscious because the fumes are coming back and pouring into the uh, you know, the holding bay. You know, it, it is the, you know, nicking cigarettes after you know out of the shop on the way up to baghdad because you ran out of smokes like a week ago and it's just like mass looting going on so you're like all right i'll take a carton of those oh mate you just you just reminded me of something just literally just flashed into my head do you remember driving along the sides of the roads and they're selling like the uh the fizzy drinks like the coke and the the fanta and stuff where you get you say oh can i have a can i have a bottle of coke and they give you a bottle of Coke, but it's got a Fanta cap on the top of it. <laughs> like, oh, this is not right. Yeah, it's like, this is not right. How, how, how did that get in there? And then you put put, put that top on. I'm this. not trusting this rebottling yeah, bit. Yeah, something, something here doesn't sit right. Are you like, have I just been poisoned? Oh, fuck it. It tastes too yeah. good. <laughs> I, there was one of those where it was just a, a random clear through a village, uh, small firefight on the way up to, to Baghdad. And uh, we all get out of the track. And we ended up this, I mean, if you could think and just imagine probably the, the worst conditions a uh, a rural Iraqi village could have is there's only like one little path over this, essentially a moat going around this. And, you know, obviously there was no river there, so we didn't quite understand what the moat was, but it was essentially just where they threw all the waste. So we're not, we're not going to take that one, one road in, are we? No, we're going to go through so you know i look over and there's a donkey you know kind of doing his business to the side and it's going all into the the water i'm going through i'm like this is this is just unbelievable and it's me and it's me and my gunner along with you know the platoon that have dismounted pushing through and and we probably got 1800 rounds of 762 between the two of us you know i've got i've got the rifle he's carrying the 240 and you know we've got a fair amount of weight now i'm absolutely piss strapped through this NBC suit of obviously human and apparently donkey waste. And we get to the end 
um, sweeping through and, you know, doing what we needed to do. And these older ladies are coming out with like pitchers of water. I was like, I don't care if it's poison. I am dying. <laughs> I'm just chucking it down my throat. And honestly, it tasted amazing, but I, you don't even want to think about probably the state of that water, but it, it just tasted so good by the end of that. And, you know, it's definitely the less glamorous things you remember the most. So 2003 then, so you've, you've done your week of clearing up to, um, up to Baghdad. Mm. Um, you get your Red Cross call through that you, uh, that your granddad had died. You've, you've gone back. And I think we talked about then, um, I'm going to use a bit of your slang. All right, let's hear it. So you did four years where you weren't employed because you kind of fell out of your con- contract. You, you re-signed back up. Yeah. And then... Um, and then you had a choice between going to 29 Palms. Yeah. Like, this is how good my memory is, right? It's better, it's better than mine. <laughs> 29 Palms and Hawaii. And I think you chose the better option. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I still to this day don't, you know, I can't remember, you know, obviously if I, you know, asked around, I could find out the, the name of the master gunnery sergeant that was the monitor at the time. But uh, he gave me a choice and I really didn't think it was much of a choice. Uh, you know, he's probably thinking, well, I could leave this guy in California and he can be close to whatever family he's got. But I was like, get me to Hawaii. So, yeah, I showed up, uh, showed up there. Uh, I got orders, I think, in June. June is when they pieced it all back together. So I signed back up in March. And then April and May, I, I worked in California at a recruiter station. So what's this, 2007? Seven. Yeah, yeah, 2007 yeah. is when I, I, I joined back up. Um, it's completely different this time as far as the recruiting. So, you know, a lot of waiting around, they had to rebuild all my stuff, pull it out of mothballs, create a, a jacket. And you know, it's kind of a weird one. How are dates of service for those that have been in and gotten out? They kind of move some numbers around to where it looks like you've kind of been in the whole time. Uh, and pushed, you know, pushed out and checked into second battalion, third Marines in Hawaii uh, I was in a golf company, so Golf 2-3. And Hawaii is arguably probably the best duty station, you know, at least weather, weather-wise weather that, you know, I've ever been to. It's absolutely amazing, but you'll, you'll catch U.S. Marines that'll complain about it incessantly. And I think that's just because if you come from a strong family background and you're used to going home every chance you get, then, yeah, it's... It is out in the middle of nowhere uh, as far as the flight. And it is it is a bit more expensive, and it's certainly expensive if you want somebody to come visit you or to fly home. But I enjoyed staying there. And, you know, the surfing community out there is, um, as you know, as anyone knows, is absolutely amazing. Which island was it on? Oahu. Oahu. Yeah, so it's uh, Oahu. It's it's not exactly OPSEC. It's big old base, uh, Kaneohe Bay. And, you know, it's one of those where you can see the the sunrise and the sunset from the same spot. So absolutely amazing. Uh, the only issue with it is, uh, you know, it's a small Island and obviously, you know, it's uh, a heavy civilian and tourist population. So anytime you want to do anything quite big, like what, you know, is offered on other bases where, you know, you can pretty much go fire or do a range. Uh, you don't have really the same capability there. So you spend a lot of time away because um, the big guns can't shoot there. You know, no tourist wants to, you know, 
be kept awake by artillery rounds. So we spend quite a lot of time away there. So I could imagine that would have been hard on a married person or someone with family and close ties. So, but myself at the time, no problem. So what, what sort of job did you do in Hawaii? Well, when I checked in, I was, um, long story short, uh, normally you lose some rank or you lose something. Like if you get out and you come back in at that time, um, obviously the, rules go in and out of style as far as what they're offering and how full the core is as far as how how much they need you back and uh i promoted as a as a corporal when i got out i got out as a machine gun section leader um you know i could have definitely progressed from there because that's when the the surge first started happening and a lot of people were getting promoted especially those with experience um but then that's another time where you kind of feel it in the back of your brain you know, I, I was on the fence as far as getting out, I kind of covered this already, but, uh, you know, I didn't make the decision until like a week or two before I was set to, uh, EAS or what you guys call TX. And, uh, yeah, so I, I got out and, you know, the next month my boys deployed again. I was like, you know, that great and feeling and they got hit hard on that deployment. So I think, I think that one carried hard with me knowing people that I had trained specifically, but then I got out and they went to war. It's just like, especially as a younger man, you believe in fight. Yeah. I think, I think a point, you know, I think there's a point that, you know, you end up where you belong, you know, you know, there's a, there's a bit of terminator there to where, you know, you make your own fate, no fate. But I, I do think that the, at least the choice is set in front of you, um, have a purpose. And you, you kind of wind your way through life and probably end up where you should be. And, and who knows what would have happened if I had gone. And, you know, what if thing is probably a dark path that, you know, a lot of people that don't make it out kind of find themselves on. But Hawaii, um, long story short again, is I got to keep my rank as a corporal. Uh, all they did was I got promoted. And when I got I had like six months seniority. They just took away all that seniority. Uh, so that's we call that timing grade time as a corporal they just took that away so it was like i just got promoted um i got to be a squad leader which was you know probably i don't think anybody in the marine corps will ever argue that that is there is a better job like it's the best job in the corps and uh yeah i got to do that i got to do a workup um you know i had a great time really great uh marines great leaders out there um got to see some familiar faces which was really good um so one of the guys um Who's uh he's actually setting to retire. He's uh coming up this year. Uh, a guy named uh Dave Schaefer. Uh he was actually uh me and him were kind of boots together, sprogs together, uh back in uh one five, so the unit. So I get out, I come back in, I check in, and he's my strike he's my platoon sergeant. He's my stripey. So I walk in and uh company office and the guy that's gonna be in charge of me is like one of one of you know, one of my boys. Kind of had to keep that hush for a while, and you know now he's a mass sergeant, which is W O two, and he's, you know he's, you know, he's uh, figuring out his retirement. So it was it was good to see some familiar faces, but then uh, you know go to a few courses, which kind of helped me get back into the swing of things because you know after three and a half years, a lot of stuff had happened. We'd advanced a lot in tactics, um, bit in weaponry. So I got to go to squad leaders course while I was there in uh, two thousand and seven. Um, 
which was which really helped me get my head back in the game uh, before I went on deployment. And we went on deployment in 2008 um, and did uh, Iraq before it really started. I mean, it was it it was winding down a bit because that obviously that was after like Fallujah was heavy and all that. But I mean, still casualties all the time. But the the big kind of wind down, it you could kind of feel it was was starting already in 2008. Yeah, that's when uh, people start, started doing foot patrols and they were just pulling out into the bases, just staying there where it really weren't they? And then just yeah. doing the, the odd patrols out and just kind of going, yeah, let's leave the Iraqis to do their own shit. So when I, when I was there, we, we did a lot of local foot patrols, but the majority of what we were doing were mounted and then like vehicle interdiction. Um, and I, it wasn't a cake deployment by any means because uh, we got hit really hard on that deployment and uh, actually ended up losing a really good friend of mine that you know I went to squad leaders course with, um, a guy named Marcus Prudhomme, uh, and he was actually on the battalion commander's jump team. Um, so he was he was an admin guy, and uh, worked in the S one, and you know he ended up going to squad leaders course, and he knocked it out of the park, which was at the time not even something I'd heard of. Didn't even know you could do that, but he absolutely just ended himself and did really well in the course. And, uh, we ended up, uh, losing, losing him. And the battalion commander, our star major got hit really hard. Uh, we lost a company commander, um, lost a few other Marines, um, loads of, you know, Iraqis. And, uh, I think where we were at, we weren't at a level of kinetic engagement that we were prepared for that. And, you know, uh, suicide, you know, double-sided S-belt, essentially uh, detonated, detonated inside of a key leader engagement. Were these, were these engagements uh, much like the ones we had in Afghanistan on the later ends where you wouldn't necessarily see where the firing points were coming from? It was more of a case of... that trying to build a comparison really mm. they used to uh, uh, make what we would call murder holes in buildings yeah. no, I, and I, then I, yeah. and then they'd stick the weapons through not necessarily luck but pointing in the general direction pull the trigger for a while and then and then do one uh, how are you supposed to fight something yeah. like that I, I think that era what we were seeing at least and obviously looking back you know being a, a corporal well, I got promoted to sergeant on that deployment but uh being that you know that, that level of responsibility on the ground, um, you start learning uh, a bit of appreciation for the bigger picture, and you started seeing kind of like the rise of warlords again. So like this cycle, you know, I, I don't know that any country like that will ever have anything but that. Um, but that's and- that's their. Um- that's a, yeah. It's, that's their culture, it though, is, isn't it? It is, and you know, it's kind of hard for someone with a democratic or constitutional republic, whatever you want to call it, mindset to appreciate. Is some people don't want or don't understand anything else. But uh, our local warlord, funny enough, ended up being a uh, pretty much uh, the guy that ran all the police. And you know, obviously, we find out the police are super crooked. You know, they're the ones that are putting in the IEDs and then finding them. Air, quote, air quotation marks and then turning them into us for a, you know, get that, that payout. Cause we're, you know, 
we're at the time we're, we're paying pretty much anybody for any kind of intel so we can just try and save lives and you know get the intel we need to to turn this over to them and hopefully leave the place better than what we found it which is you know anybody's motto but uh yeah we found out it was you know cur- you know of course it's corrupt but we found out it's the level of corruption and then you know when that key leader engagement was essentially a, a massive setup you know we, we lost um a lot of good people that day and just one fell swoop and it just i think emotionally tore the battalion apart and where he came from um was a uh you know, he's a uh, battalion commander was an important person for where he came from because he was a chief in Samoa. So like, not only is he an important guy in the Marine Corps, you know, battalion commander, lieutenant colonel, but he's also a very important person um, where he's from. And uh, it, it, it ripped through us because he, he was well-liked. Um, he ran a tight ship, tough guy. And, uh, you know, it was hard. It, it, it was hard getting that news and then it was even harder realizing that you know someone you know is there you know i understand we've all lost somebody but you know having that personal connection with someone but not getting to see him every day and you're like oh yeah bro i'll see you know see you next time you know it's like somebody in another company or something i'll see you next time i'll see you next time and i'd I'd just seen him a couple days because he was on the jump team so he traveled around with the battalion commander and the battalion commander was very active making sure that his area was well kept and checking in on all the outposts. So uh, he was he was a very involved, very uh, effective leader. So I'd, I'd just seen him a couple of days ago, and then uh, getting that news, um, yeah, that was pretty rough. But and it, it, like I said, it wasn't an overly kinetic empl- uh, deployment. But then that happened, so it's just like kind of refocused you. And I don't think anybody at that time was complacent, but it just highlighted why you don't want to become complacent because you just never know when it's going to happen. So, yeah, a little sidetrack there. No, was, you definitely um, you definitely bring up a good a good point because with what you're saying and the, the what you're saying is there's a lot of subliminal stuff there as well. Um, we we do take for granted, you know, the leadership that whether it comes from within ourselves or um, or from the people that are in charge of us, military being, you know, one of those structures where you do have, you know, people above you and people below you, especially if you like, you know, your line managers like like we are, you know, you have people telling you or guiding you what what to do, but then. You know, you've also got to um, you've got to disseminate and filter the information that you get to pass it down to the people below you. Um, I've never really had that kind of experience where I've lost leaders. Um, I say, fortunately, unfortunately, I've lost people that I've um, have either been close friends or. Marines, you know, that don't necessarily have rank. But regardless of whether they are colonels, captains, majors or or Marines, it still hits you just as hard. Um, And that does, 
does play on you a little bit. And I think going on to what we might be talking a little bit later on, uh, again, you know, when, when it comes to mental health issues, um, it also has a lot to do with how you, how you deal and process with that as well. And that's, that's why being a soldier and why you see a mark rise with people who leave the military with issues is because they don't know how to decipher what's going on in their head. They come from a ranked, ranked, structured um, environment and then get taken out of that. But not only been taken out of that, they don't have the support of it either. Um, And don't have the information of how to deal with deal with that as well now i feel like i've in in my head the way that i deal with things it comes down to my personality as well so i can only really speak from you know personal experience as opposed to other people whereas i kind of i kind of just get on with accept it get on with it move on but have to physically accept it myself now i think that's difficult for other people because it's like how people learn as well isn't it i I think finding the way and i think exactly right everyone's different i think finding that way is probably the hardest part and don't know that i've still found mine i think i think it's an ongoing process and what worked once worked once in your life well might not still work for you later on. You might have to find a new way to kind of get through that and to process it all, I think. You can definitely tell from the way that you're talking about that that time period that it has affected you quite a lot because the when when I when I sit and I talk to people, you can see you can almost see people's thought processes and how they're cognitively linking things together. I mean, it's certainly a, a day I'll always remember. And, you know, I I think I just pause to try and make sure that I'm, you know, I'm paying the the respect due, you know, to their memory. And, uh, you know, I, I could go on uh, each, each individual that was affected that day. I mean, the whole battalion was affected that day. But, you know, seeing, you know, seeing the Sergeant Major later on, you know, Sergeant Major Wilkinson, um, hard dude he's a good dude um you know saw him later you know the way he was affected you know he, he got damaged you know really hard but um he's the kind of dude that walk around and you know sock you one in the chest just to see how you're doing kind of pull you out of you know however your day was um and it's affected he's just a good dude and i've seen him later on you know obviously medically re- you know, retired and he'd uh come to a graduation when i was working at uh SOI school infantry, which get to after that, but, uh, saw him and he never skipped a beat. Still the same, really good, really hardcore dude. Uh, this time I'm a, I'm a sergeant about to pick up staff sergeant and, uh, I'm talking to him and I, I forgot I got complacent and he just socked me one. I was like, mm. all right, all right. So I mean, still got it. So it, it, it was good to see that he, um, and, you know, arguably dealt with that day a lot harder than I did because, you know, he was there. 
and you know, I was, I was miles away. I mean, I could, I could hear it and obviously then the radios and you, you hear, I think that's one of the word, the ones that is probably the worst for me is hearing all the radio traffic because obviously being vehicle mounted, you've got so many different nets, um, so many different frequencies that you can monitor, not necessarily are monitoring because you, you know, can only monitor what, how many radios you have simultaneous. But then hearing it and, you know, you start hearing information get passed and you, you obviously knew what was going on in that area that day because you were kind of running things on the outside, passing up anything you might see and literally being so helpless that you can't get into that area because you have your own mission. So you just know that horrible things are happening and you got to keep doing what you're doing and just wait for more information. And then hours later, as everything filters through, you start getting the information and you piece together because you know people. And obviously you got the you know, tech chat and all that information getting sent uh, around. You know, you realize, you know, the large portion of the command as has been hit hit hard and you, you know, lost somebody that you've been sneaking down to Waikiki and getting crazy with on the weekend. Someone that, you know, you helped each other get through squad leaders courses, you know, it's one of those where our, you know, it's, it's different. You and I maybe being in a firefight, look over and, you know, one of us gets hit. I've got to process that in the moment, but then now I've just essentially got to listen to it on the radio. So, yeah, it was one of those. And I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that I've had, there's so many Marines that have done so much more than I have in combat, like way more deployments. You know, I'm certainly not sitting here saying uh, I'm some, you know, infantry monster. There's, there's guys out there that are absolutely doing back-to-back-to-back deployments. And, uh, you know, I've done a quite a, a varied you know, experience in my Marine Corps career. You know, I'm, I'm happy saying that. This is the choices I made, and that's where I'm at. Allowed, it allowed me to see and do a lot of things. But, you know, I think everyone has those those few days that, you know, they live with and, you know, people that they've lost. So, yeah, that, probably one of the bigger, bigger impactful days of my life. Yeah. Moving on from that a little bit then, you said yeah. you went to um, some infantry school? I yeah, yeah. Well, no, no. So um, I actually, uh, it's not one I talk about a lot because, you know, I think we try not to broadcast our, our failures too much. But uh, I actually, on that deployment, found out that what I thought was going to happen is we're going to come right back and do the same mission, but even a more watered down version of that, which we called at the time as handing out beanie babies and pencils. You know, that, that hearts and minds, but it seemed to be way more paychecks, like handing out money and what, just kind of what was going on at the time. Like I, I didn't, maybe I didn't fully appreciate the plan, but looking back and having other people speak out on it, then, you know, I wanted to do something different. We'll just say that. So, uh, I put my name, you know, my name in the hat, uh, trying, uh, try out for Marsoc. So I went on assessment and selection. You go out there and you run through lots of different tests. Obviously, I'm not at liberty to talk about, but I mean, there's plenty of people that wrote books about it that'll fess up about that. But uh, So MARSOC, if people don't know what that is? Uh, so it's uh, Marine Corps Special Forces, essentially. Um, 
So Marine Corps has always had recon, but Marine Corps like funds and controls recon where we haven't had a, a JSOC, like a SEAL equivalent, if you want to try and think of it like that, unit up until uh, you know recent times. So I, you know, I went to try out for that and uh, I was unsuccessful at ANS. Uh, had some issues there and I got sent back to Hawaii, which was interesting because I had to do like a full move to go out to the East Coast. I was like, oh man, I'm I'm going to end up in Lejeune. And they were like, no, no, you're going back to Hawaii. But uh, the unit I left didn't go back to Iraq to do Beanie Babies and Pencils. They went to Afghanistan and they, they had a rough go. So here's another time to where I'm trying to do something else. Guys I know are, are getting some. So I ended up going back to Hawaii and going to 3-3. Um, so they were away. They were still on operations when I showed up. They were still on deployment. Um, so I was kind of in charge, one of the guys in charge of the remain behind element training them, um, which is a mixture of guys that didn't go NCOs that have just arrived, some staff NCOs that then came in and arrived and kind of took over and a load of fresh boots or sprogs or however you want to think of it. FNGs. Yeah. FNGs that have just showed up, but, um, really good, um, really what I considered trained guys. And this is kind of one of the points where I started thinking about school infantry. Cause I'm like, man, you know, I, I don't know that I had when I checked in as a sprog, the same knowledge that these guys, these guys are hungry. These guys seemed, you know, switched on. They seemed intelligent. Well, I mean, you know, I, I still talk to most of the guys from three, three that, you know, were working for me, uh, waiting for the unit to come back and then get assigned to their unit. So I was, you know, I was, I was impressed with kind of the knowledge they were showing up with. I was like, all right, I can work with this. Um, so I, I took took over their, their physical training. Um, we did some classes um, and really just tried to keep the discipline. Because what you'll find in Hawaii, and most people listen and can attest to this, is your biggest battle you're having is the fact you're living in paradise. And you don't have, unless you leave island, as much field time as you would in another unit like Pendleton, like you know Camp Pendleton, Camp Lejeune, you know, I imagine it's like being out in Scotland. We've got nothing else to do, so we're going to the field this week. All right, cool. So you, you've got that mindset to where you can really delve into the field, but then when you're sat there and you're looking at the beach, like, you know, man, I wish I was surfing. Man, I was doing this. You know, mm. you, you get that paradise mindset. So sometimes Hawaii gets a bad rap for that that aspect, and you're kind of fighting that. Uh, and every civilian there is pretty much – Unless the local, they're there for vacation. It's a huge tourist industry. I think like 75% of the population of the entire Hawaiian Islands, I think, is on Oahu because of military and because of tourists. So it, it's it's quite dense, and you're kind of fighting that uh, that weekend, that island fever, if you will. But uh, try to keep them busy, you know, how you keep Marines out of trouble. You get them tired, and you teach them. And uh, we, we, did a, we did a lot... Um, at this point I'd already gone through a, a martial arts instructor course. Um, so we, we did a lot of martial arts, we did a lot of physical training. We did a lot of classes trying to get them ready for when they got back. Um, come, come back. I end up getting assigned my company. So I'm going to, uh, Lima company. So I go to Lima company three, three. Um, once again, another good batch of, uh, Marines, you know, good leaders to work for, for the most part. And, uh, had a, had a great time. So, you know, started out as a squad leader, did some time as a platoon sergeant. Um, while over there, we kind of had a different role. 
So got over there and essentially half the company I was in then got repurposed. And uh, we were training Iraqis and doing, uh, I'm sorry, lost me there. I was training Afghanis, uh, Afghanis and doing a combined assault company. So essentially we had uh, two different platoons of, uh, you had three squads, but then you had three squads of Afghani as well. So really that ultimate uh, combined level. And what that did is it enable us to go places we couldn't have gone before. So, you know, I, I didn't need permission. I didn't need this. You know, I have an interpreter. I'll let the, F, you know, I'll let the uh, Afghan army deal with it. Like, right, you think this is a bad place? All right, you make entry and we'll, we'll do the cordon, right? And you handle business. So it, it really allowed us to integrate. Now that obviously comes with a lot of adversity because they're certainly not highly trained and there's plenty of YouTube videos over there trying to teach them to even do a jumping jack. And you can just imagine how much harder some other things are to teach. And, you know, you get guys that are just there trying to protect their family. You've got guys that are, you know, working for the enemy. They're just passing along the intel. And you're going out on a night patrol and, you know, one of the guys smokes up hash, like right on patrol. And I'm like, all right, we're going back in the wire. I'm not going out like this. So it, it definitely came with a set of unique adversities, which, you know, helped me grow and helped me realize that, you know, not everyone is to the standard of the U.S. Marine Corps or to, uh, you know, obviously the Royal Marines. It's definitely not the standard I'm working with. So it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a really good deployment. I found I got to do a lot of... Um, a lot of other things um, that I normally wouldn't get to do. Um, good level of autonomy there and being able to work on my own. Had a really good uh, platoon commander you know, I still talk to. A guy named Seth Miller. He's a good dude. Um, so I, I made some good friendships there as well. And uh, I didn't have to leave on a bad note. So it's not one of those to where I had that negative taste in my mouth. And it came time to where, you know... you. It's essentially coming up on, what's that, uh, done four years the first time, got out, came back in, did another four years, so that's about eight years in the infantry. For a lot of guys, it's time to then go do a B-billet or, you know, cycle out and do something different. That's not the same for everybody. There's plenty of guys that have a very successful career and all they want to do is deploy, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So I took a different path. Um Combat instructor had just become like a really set in stone, hard B billet SDA, which is like a special duty assignment. And, you know, I wanted to teach, you know, some people like being general instructors, you know, they have a very important mission, but I really wanted to send guys to the fleet. I'm like fighting the sneeze right now. <laughs> I'm like hanging on. Now I'm at that point where I'm like staring at light and it's just not working. <laughs> I'll be really great for the podcast. But I, I wanted to give guys on deployment, going on deployment, really good junior Marines that were hungry. Because I think anybody that's ever had a new guy check in and had an issue with it, you're always like, man, what's going on in that school? What are they teaching them? And I never wanted that to be the case. And in the USMC, at least, I mean, I think every single Marine can remember back to who their drill instructor was because we kind of, we do things differently. Obviously um, you guys very specialized as far as who does what job drill instructor is one-stop shop between your discipline, your drill, everything you're taught in boot camp. That's the drill instructor. And they have a you know, very hard, amazing job, but I, I wanted to take them from that. And I wanted to teach 
infantry skill. I want to, you know, get them in, you know, it's essentially the next, next cog in the wheel, the next stop on the conveyor belt. So when they're checking in the unit, I wanted them to remember who their combat instructor was. I wanted to leave an impact to where they learn something that they're going to retain and take forward. Um, and I think a lot of military organizations, um, have this, you know, Oh, you learned that in school. Don't worry about that. This is what we do here. And I think at that time frame, the Marine Corps was doing a very good job of being like, no, you're learning this in school because this is what's happening. So they really tried to close the gap between what units going on deployment needed and what the schoolhouses were teaching. So there wasn't this huge gap or, yeah, don't worry about that because you've learned it in school and it doesn't matter here. So I think they did a really good job as far as some of the shooting packages, the basic skills they were leaving with because they're becoming basically trained riflemen, which is... The POI are the classes I took. There's guys that taught machine guns there, mortars, um, but I was teaching um, what we call the 0311 package. So just basic rifleman. I did that uh, from 2000 and quick math, 2011, 2011. Uh, I started there and I did that till the end of, well, just the start of 2013. Okay. Um, at the end of 2012, I was able to go to the IT course uh, to the MACE in uh, Quantico, Virginia as a student. Um, so the MACE is the Martial Arts Center of Excellence, yeah? Yeah, I've always got to I've always got to forget that. I've always got to spell out the acronyms. That's right. That's why I'm here. Yep. There we go. Keep me, keep me grounded. <laughs> but yeah, so Martial Arts Center of Excellence, uh, which was ran by, you know, just an amazing cadre of instructors um, who definitely drug you out in the deep water, drowned you a little bit, and then revived you. Uh, as far as the combative world and uh, learned a lot um, both about the the program the Marine Corps martial arts program but then also about myself and obvious um, arguably one of the more physical courses I've ever done and it was just an amazing time seven weeks of you know you're getting getting paid to go learn techniques spar teach you know learning about the character side of the house, how to, you know, connect with Marines, how to impart our core values and, you know, important training aspects and deliver that in a way that doesn't, you know, come off, you know, poorly. And, you know, being able to express a program, and at this time I'm still a sergeant, you know, being able to express the program, the importance of the program, why units need the program to officers of all level and senior enlisted. So, you know, it's it's a good level of responsibility for a, you know, a corporal or a sergeant to get because it, it, it instantly boosts the level of which you can deliver or at least, at least your confidence, if nothing else. So it was an amazing course. Um, ended up cracking my rib. Um, a sweet, uh, sweet kick from one of the, uh, instructor trainers. And I got to crack the rest of the course with that rib. And, uh, I'm sure some of the squad mates that I had at the time going through can attest to the, uh, the, the great noises I made, every time we had to spar after that. So it was, it was a really good time and probably one of the, the best courses I've ever done. Yeah. I, I know a few guys that have uh, gone over from here over to do, um, over to do that IT course. And yeah, it's, uh, but we've taken parts of that course to incorporate into ours, haven't we? Which oh, we'll talk absolutely. about in yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah, no, anyway, absolutely. So. But no, you have a very, very viable program over here and you have some very lethal guys um, teaching it. So it's, it's certainly taking nothing away from, from here. 
uh, yeah, love to speak on that when we when we get there for sure. So that's uh, 2013. I come, well, I graduate the course. I finished it up in September. I come back and I ran one more cycle. So I uh, push one more cycle of privates, which what they call it, you know, one more SOI class, ITV class. And then uh, I was able to go over to AIT, which is our Advanced Infantry Training Battalion, which is essentially where all our specialized schools are. For you, for you guys, it'd be like where the PW's course is. It's like, yeah, like your specialist qualification yeah, course. The twos course would fall into that. Yeah, the yeah. PT2s would fall into that. So that's where like our infantry leaders course was, all of the advanced like mortars, machine guns courses. But that's also where the MAI, our martial arts instructor courses ran, which is a three-week course ran by the guys that go to the seven-week course. So I got to do that, which is probably one of the coolest jobs I've ever had as far as a small group of individuals. I think we, you know, at the most, at any one time, I think we had like five or six people churning out these courses. And all we did was train and spar and then try and get away and learn other stuff is the advantage of being in that unit is, you know, all your buddies are teaching the advanced stuff, you know, a few buildings over. So if you, you ever felt that you were losing skill or you ever wanted to brush up, you just go over there, sit in a class, get your hands on the guns or, Hey, we're going to the range. So it was arguably one of the coolest places um, I've ever worked um, to essentially have your cake and eat it too. So I can, I can sit here, I can trade, I can do martial arts, I can fight. But then I can go shoot pretty much all I want. So an amazing job. And I worked for some really, really good dudes uh, and with some really good dudes while I was there. Met a lot of good people. I I had a lot of good um, students that came through that their own martial arts were very high level. um, And I maintained relationships with them. And some of them are very high, like really high level jits now. Um, So it's just amazing to have those relationships. I did, uh, I did that, um, all the way up until the end of 2014. So I did that for about two years and, uh, 2014, I was on the fence. So I was like, well, what am I doing in my life? I don't know what I want to do. And I think, I think some people know that they're going to do 20 years in the core. They know they're going to do 30 years in the core for whatever reason, um, I think maybe it was just that, that period to where it was promotions were hard to come by. I think I'd been six years. Yeah. I'd been six years a sergeant, which yeah, I know crime river. There's plenty of guys that have been six years a sergeant, but at the time I was like, I was getting a little fed up with this. And, uh, you know, I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do, you know, board sitting, you know? And so I, I started planning because, uh, for us, we have to make rank by a certain cutoff or you'll get, uh, essentially paid for your time and sit on your way. And I was getting right on that cusp. So I kind of planned for the worst and then, uh, ended up getting selected for promotion. I was like, well, now that's awkward. Cause I, all my plans were to get out, uh, and all my setup for successes were to get out. And, uh, I had an issue with my, uh, like my computer at the time. And, you know, I wasn't getting my, my, my online messages as far as where I'm going, what I'm doing at the time. A uh, bit embarrassing to admit, like for the world right now. But yeah, my admin was crap. It's not gotten much better since then. Before you say anything, I'm however, literally, I'm literally not going to say anything. <laughs> however, um, so I ended up getting an email uh, from the sergeant major of the unit that I was supposed to check into in like two weeks. He's like, "Hey, dude, you know when you checking in, bro?" I'm like, 
uh, what? So then I dig through and I find the message and I find my orders and realize, oh, wow, well, I need to check in. Uh, so I'm obviously not now going to get out of the Marine Corps. So I ended up doing my reenlistment and that was me. So, uh, ended up doing a deployment with, uh, two, four, worked with some really good guys. And it was, this is just, a a UDP, they call us. We just went to Okinawa, did some other training, went to some other places, ended up in, uh, Korea, uh, spent a few weeks there just training with those guys. Um, had a blast. Um, other than that, very quiet, uh, very quiet deployment. And uh, ended up getting what we call a hot fill. So there was a space at the uh, at the MACE, at the Martial Arts Center of Excellence. And I, I'm not going to blast him because I don't think he'd appreciate it over uh, over the waves. But uh, I reached out to someone. Was very very well respected and high up in the uh, instructor trainer community, and I just kind of asked a few questions. I was like, "Oh, hey, you know, I got this hot fill. Don't really know a lot about it. You know, I, you know, is there space there?" And he's, you know, just messaged me back like, "You want to work here?" I was like, "Well, I just got a few questions." He's like, "All right, you'll have orders tomorrow." I was like, "Whoa, wait a minute!" <laughs> but yeah, uh, true to his word, uh, I had orders pretty much within twenty four to forty eight hours. Um, which was really, really made my SAR major at the time uh, happy about that, um, that I'd only been there like just enough to do a, a short deployment and then uh, I'm already off to my next unit. So yeah, he wasn't quite too happy about it. Another guy I'll, I'll leave nameless. But, uh, you know, uh, checking into there um, was really a good experience because there's some top level, uh, Marine Corps martial artists, some top level wrestlers, some top level jits guys, some top level strikers, and really being able to go in and learn and just one being shown, you're not the finished product, but two, then being able to learn, you're also not the finished product as far as being an instructor. So not only do you need to be able to, you know, fight essentially, if that's what you want to call it, but you know, spar and learn the techniques, but you have to impart them on your students. So it was just a really good group of people um, that worked there. And I worked for some very um, prolific, very important uh, people that have had impact on my life and still do, people I still conversate with. And uh, so it's it, it, it was good to see the level of leadership and care there. And, you know, every place has its own politics, but uh, I didn't really take anything negative away from that place. I, every Everything I did there was amazing. And uh, I worked there for two years. Um, one of the guys coming through the course, uh, you know, uh, we'll just call him Mr. Trev, I guess, for the uh, for the podcast, was coming through as uh, a student and uh, kind of going around the room. And uh, I was like, oh, you know, what do you do? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to England doing this exchange. I'm like, all right, wait, what? What are you doing? I want that job. And uh, honestly, that's how it started. Um, to come over here is, uh, he got the job and it's such a small community over here as far as USMC exchanges, advisors, whatever you want to call it. But that's how I found out about it. And there's a message that comes out every year as far as these jobs and where they're at. But I'm just one of those guys that at that time in my life, my admin wasn't where I needed to be. And I wasn't reading the message. So just lucky enough, he was coming through the course, um, Good student, good dude. And uh, I found out about it. Well, he was lucky enough to get promoted. And so they took him out of here early and the timings just lined up. And, uh, you know, the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps at the time was visiting because um, we just stood up 
FFI, which is Force Fitness Instructors, which is essentially American PTIs, which we you know, tried to, you know, model after what you guys do over here for the, the PTI, the Physical Training Instructor Branch. Try to model it, the same thing, and kind of standardize and, you know, just improve the way we instruct fitness a little bit. He, he happened to be visiting, and a uh, man I worked for at the time. Uh, he's retired now, like fully retired now, but he, uh, you know, at the time, yeah, he used to be the CEO of TBS, used to fly Reagan, so he's a personal helicopter pilot, which is pretty cool. But I uh, worked for a man named uh, Joe Shusko, a uh, really good guy, uh, amazing, amazing dude. And uh, he was like, yeah, this is the guy I want to send to England. I was like, I don't think it's supposed to be that easy. Um, and it, it actually caused a little bit of a stir because uh, at the time I had orders to recruiting school. Like I had a school seat and you, you don't get out of that. Well, I'm sat here. So clearly some conversations were had and some, some minds were changed. But uh, I'd, I'd spent some time because you, you guys sent over uh, PTI. Um, mindful about who I named Blast, but a really good dude. Spent some time with, um, kind of teaching me the role. And then uh, eventually helped me kind of, one of the guys that helped take me on course, you know, helped us while we were there. And you and I went through the same same course. So uh, long story short, I, I, get, I get the orders to come over here in 2017. And uh, I make my way over here and I show up in June and kind of get my life and my house in order. And I check in July. And it's the first day of work. And I think we started the course in what, August or September? Uh, I think it was in September. Yeah, it was because we went, we, uh, three of us went on our uh, senior command course in January, didn't we? Oh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we finished, I think we finished in October. So Yeah, it was what, seven weeks, isn't it? Yeah, so. yeah. So I think maybe mid mid-August or something. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. It was like October, yeah. So, uh, you know, I find out, I think it was found out on a Thursday. Oh, hey, you know what? Monday. We need to go back a little bit. <laughs> okay. We need to go back to when you first arrived. Are we, are we talking about that? I don't, I don't know if we can talk about that. Because um, it made me laugh so much. It was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a good time. Uh, so, so you came in the midst just about before we were about to have a booze. Yeah, no, no. So it was a lot of people leaving and me and a few people coming. So good... Uh, Leavers and joiners routine. So I, had a, I, I like to think I had a pretty decent uh, joining run there. Um, you, you lost some body hair, didn't you? Yeah, you know, some body hair. Sacrificed to, uh, to Neptune and to the good cause. And I was walking around with, uh, without a good portion of my eyebrows for a little bit there. <laughs> yeah, you know, it happens. It happens to the best of us. Um, the, the investigation's ongoing um, as far as... No one's owned up to it, but somewhere three out, years later, yeah, someone out there listening has uh, has done the deed and not uh, not wanted to fess up about it. So yeah, I, I really wanted to come in and be part of staff, and you know that that comes with its you know its own efforts. You know, being an outsider and uh, did you have um did you have any inclin inclination to you know what you were getting yourself in I for mean, a, really? I mean a bit. Uh, you know, Tank, the guy that came over, you know, gave me a, a bit of insight. Didn't want to ruin any of the experience for me, but, you know, let me know a little bit. And, you know, our own culture isn't entirely dissimilar. I think over here, customs and traditions are probably a little bit more focused on to where maybe in the USMC, you know, certain things have gone too far. And, you know, people took 
pride and tradition and you know all it takes is a few bad people going high into the right and turning it into a hazing event and then you know it gets turned off and you never have it again um you get things like you know the shell back you know crossing the equator and now because you know certain people want to go high into the right and you had the same thing back in the day with recon pinning on wings and you got you you know things get put on youtube um we, we lose the intent of it and the intent is to have customs and traditions and ceremony and then people just use it use it as a see off or you know i'm gonna do harder to someone what was done to me and it just you know you lose all all intent along the way so i mean i think a lot of aspects are not dissimilar but it it, it was a, a certainly one for the books and i don't i don't think in the staff room we've had one quite that hard since it was it was a good time i'll say that and I, I still have the id card to prove the aftermath. So I, I'm still rocking around with that picture this day. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, so that was, uh, that was uh, a few people leaving. Obviously that was the, the guy before me that was his leave and run. So, um, good party to be had by all. And, it, you know, it kind of showed me a brief glimpse of what was to come or what I thought was to come. And, you know, I started getting kind of, you know, my feet underneath me as far as the job and kind of like, I wanted, you need to, you got two ears, two eyes and one mouth. So I was really trying to take it all in before I, you know, open my mouth to give my, my two cents worth or my two pence. And, uh, you know, it, it was a, a big learning curve, you know, especially you coming in a little bit older and, you know, we, we did our course. We started the course. It was Thursday, Thursday. Like, oh, you know what? Uh, no, uh, no Yanks done a once course. You know, I think it'd be really good for the empathy and for you to, you know, get on staff to do a once course, PT once course. I was like, oh yeah, sure. Well, you know, all right. Yeah. You start Monday. Oh, cool. Well, sounds good. So, uh, there we are, um, going through it and, you know, we get through, uh, we get through it together. Seven weeks of fun. Uh, I don't think we could have, uh, could have had a better course instructor. Um, rowing across the Atlantic, isn't he? He is, yeah. All, uh, Tristan Lark. Yes, uh, got some big things going on there. Maybe maybe touch on that at the end. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, we did we did have a good course instructor. Yeah, I I, I don't think I think he ran it the right way. Yeah, and there's lots of different ways. Uh, it's people's personalities. Isn't Absolutely, it? A, a, a courses like that are very uh, personality driven. And um, yeah, he uh, he definitely ran it in a mature manner. That was we still covered the content that needed yeah. to be covered, but on the flip side of it as well, you know the hardship stuff that we had to do, whether it was the assault course, the endurance courses, the speed marches, and all the other bits and bobs that came along with it too. Fun times, yeah. yeah. The gym floor stuff, which yeah, just, you just, loved. Yeah, yeah. I'll just <laughs> put that behind me. Yeah, um, loved a good rope, didn't you? Yeah. It was good times, but we all got there in the end and, you know, learning a new rope climb technique is always fun. Um, it's, and it's one I've kind of taken on board and there's a lot of things that are done over here that I, you know, I quite like a few that I'm trying to take, trying to take back and I'm putting together papers for now. Um, you know, some of it, you always got the size difference as far as what you can use and what you can't use. But, uh, you know, I, I, I quite like um, the way you guys do business. And it's the whole reason, you know, myself and a few others were able to write and implement the FFI program. You know, people smarter than me um, over there, you know, Jay and Aaron over there at uh, 
TBS is kind of the continuity and the brainchild as far as getting that program up and running and some really competent people that I worked with there. So learning where it came, some of where it came from over here was, was really nice. And what it gave me was essentially three people that essentially instantly had friends. You know, you are coming through and yeah, you meet someone, but it takes time to make friends. But then being on course with someone, it really kind of gives you that bit extra. So that's what I really appreciated about, about doing it. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't have had three better guys to oh, be yeah, on the yeah. course with either. Yeah. Lots of the personality range in there was, you know, the spectrum right there, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was, I, I think uh, I, I couldn't have had a better, a better group of uh, people, to, you know, to learn from and, you know, help me get through when I had adversity and, you know, for me to sit back and watch and laugh when you guys were doing your reports <laughs> i was turning in three pages getting yeah, red pinned and thrown back in my face yeah but you know to give you your dues you didn't know any better either yeah um so my, my favorite bit was when uh, i turned it in and got red pinned to uh to hell and gone i had to bring up well that's how we spell it <laughs> oh yeah so uh i imagine it's a bit of a pain having to grade something that's written in american as well so but you know, I learned a, a you know completely different way of doing reports and stuff over here, and then you know PT one's course, and then working with the two's course as they were going through, which also had two U.S. Marines on it, was a uh, was a good time, and I think it, it set me up for uh, for working on staff, and it also was like my first taste of the AT world, so which is the adventure training, which is something that you guys have, and I think it's it's very important as far as we talk about mental health um, later on. I think it's it's definitely something that uh, is underutilized and underappreciated in probably the whole world. You know, we've got something called the Single Marine Program, and there's, there's stuff that happens. But getting on those trips, um, back when I was a single Marine, you know, I think I, I was able to get on one. You know, it's, it's sought after, and then you've got the training cycle and everything else. So having something like that uh, is, it has to be such a boon for mental health. I'd be interested to, you know, what the comparison would be there. Yeah, so the, the whole adventure training program is not necessarily down to help people with mental health, but it's... It's a side effect though, isn't it? It, it is, um, but the whole idea behind it is to take people out of their comfort zones. Um, and just, we, we've got some, uh, within the Navy, there are some core adventure training activities, uh, rock climbing, mountain biking paragliding yeah. to, to name but a few um, and and the whole purpose behind them is to get people that would be sat in an office yeah. or wouldn't think about wouldn't think twice about doing something like that unless they're interested in it and uh, and putting them into a situation where you know they get shown how to do it and get amongst it I, I think you bring up a good point there as far as comfort zone I think our comfort zone is probably you know, for some people, especially if they they're not otherwise actively engaged, maybe they've separated from the forces, or you know, maybe they're just in a low spot. I think that comfort zone is probably one of the most harmful places that you could possibly be, because I think that's where complacency comes from. Because I'm I'm doing what's comfortable. I'm not stepping outside of anything else. I'm just I'm essentially just walking down the street. I think things like that, like Kletter Steigen, for some guys on our course. 
I think that uh, finding something that challenges you, because that means you're probably learning from somewhere else, from someone else. You have a social interaction there. I'm learning something that I have to focus on, or it I could potentially get injured or lost, or you know, bad things could come of it. I, I think it forces you to develop new habits. And I think when we're talking about improving the state of mental health, which obviously AT's primary design is not to do that, but is a, a massively beneficial side effect, that it it takes you to a place to build new behavioral patterns, which is exactly what you need to get out of the rut that you're in or to, to get rid of that comfort zone. So I, I, I think that's absolutely amazing. And I had a blast doing it, obviously. like I've been able to do a, a few uh, AT trips since I've been here, you know, where else do you get the chance to to sail to skipper the core yacht around the Canary Islands? Obviously under close instruction and while I'm getting a certification, but it's not like I just like stole the yacht and went on a joyride, but actually being shown the ropes, no pun intended, and going out and sailing on essentially the open sea with the sun set at like, there's not a better feeling in the world. And I can't imagine having that as a resource. So it's it's pretty cool. No yeah. doubt, no uh, doubt. We definitely touched on it before, uh, where um, being in that comfort zone is very easy. And I, I'm not necessarily talking about people in the military. Um, this is in civilian life as well, um, where it's very easy to be stuck in your nine to five job and not... Your, your look forward is to maybe having a drink at the weekend or, you know, watching the football with a couple of mates. But then Monday morning, going back to doing it again and over a year, yeah. two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years. And before you know it, you know, you, your life's flashed before your eyes. And if you're in a, in a job or an environment that, you're not necessarily going to thrive in and you're just happy being in it because it's easy. You're getting paid a decent wage. You don't necessarily enjoy what you do, but you can put up with it because it's you can get emotionally detracted from it. Um, that's not necessarily the best way to live your life. And those sort of situations or the way, the, the way that you go through life doing that is the way that people have issues um, because they don't think there is a way out of it. Life is not, in my opinion, my life is not about just chugging through it, chugging through life, getting to the end of it, and then dying. Wow. You, know, you need to have experiences. Family life, yes is an experience having your wife your kids your house your mortgage yeah okay everything is very um streamlined and if you want to use the analogy of putting a bit of string out mm -hmm. and that is the line of your life and if you don't divulge from that and just keep going yeah you you know you're born you go to school you go to university, college, you might get a job, you have a job, you have, you meet somebody, mm. you have a wife, you have kids, blah, blah, blah. You get to the end, all that goes away, you die. Okay, brilliant. But where has your experiences been within that? Okay, yes, having children is an experience. But unless you do something for your life, for yourself, i.e. 
when you come into this world, you come into this world on your own. And when you die, you, you go out of it on your own. If you don't do things for yourself to have those experiences, whether it's Klatschsteigen in Bavaria, whether it's surfing 50-foot waves off the North Shore of Waimea mm. in Hawaii, whether it's going for a hard walk up in Snowden, something like that to push you outside of those those um, almost um, formative lines that you've set yourself for your life, then you're going to have those mental issues because the human beings as a whole are not designed to sit in a monotonous circle of life day in, day out. You need to be able to do that. And that's why when we were talking before, it kind of clicked with me a little bit where I was talking about, and again, using myself as an example, surfing and jiu-jitsu mm. is a very good escapism now i don't need i don't use escapism in in, uh, in the bad sense where i hate my life and i need to escape from it for a couple of hours whatever because i don't but i enjoy doing it and i find that it resets me to be able to continue what i'm doing i also know mentally that i don't have to stay doing what i'm doing if it makes me unhappy. If it makes me unhappy, then I wouldn't do it. I would just stop doing it and I would go and do something else. Now, luckily for me, I've spent the last 20 years in the Marines and I've enjoyed every bit of it. Yeah, I've dripped here and there saying, yeah, this is shit, when I've had to go and empty some bins or do, I don't know, pick something up or do something that I didn't necessarily want to do. You dripping, but, that doesn't sound like you. But in the uh, yeah. <laughs> but in the grand scheme of things, I've never turned around and said, I fucking hate my job. Yeah. I've never said that. Because I enjoy doing it. And if I think I found myself doing that, bearing in mind at the end of my career now, yeah. I then go, do you know what nah, I'm doing something else. And I think that's important what, what what people get stuck is they think that they can't get out of it. I think no, I think that's a, a really good point. And I think the military gives us um leeway in that aspect, in the fact that every couple of years you're gonna have to go do something else somewhere else and maybe go somewhere new. I think a lot of people, God, especially with COVID going on. And teleworking and, you know, if you live in a, you know, a lot of places going into lockdown and, you know, real serious implications across the country, you could be stuck at four walls. And I can't imagine doing something that, you know what, maybe you don't love that job. You might not hate it, but maybe you just don't love that job, but you're putting food on the table. You're, you're taking care of people, you know, you have people depending on you. So you need this job. Maybe one day you'll get another job or you think you will. But now I'm teleworking from home, staring at four walls, doing something I don't love, and I don't know a way out. I could definitely see how that could have such a horrible impact. And I, you know, I'm the same way with my career. I think is you know I've done so many different things, which is kind of a untraditional path as far as an infantryman goes. That you know I've done so much time outside of it now. I'm sure, there's a few people out there dropping the old fleet dodger bomb on me, but you know what. 
I'm in England. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's uh, it's one of those to where you know I'll t- I'll t- I'll take the uh, I'll take the criticism because I'm going back and I'm going back to what I love and I do love the infantry. I've just been fortunate enough to have been able to do a few other things in my life, um, but I'm looking forward to going back and I think it's it's going to be an absolute blast. But I, I think the mental health being over here has improved my own mental health. You know, I'm not saying where it was or you know I think everyone has their own struggles and maybe I think people just they become disconnected over time. And I think that's what happened to me is I just, I struggled with human interaction sometimes. And I think being over here with a independent role to where how I interact professionally is different over here um, is, is giving me appreciation and another way to do things. So I think going back, um, you got that reinvigoration you spoke of. I, th- I think that's definitely reinvigorated me. And uh, it just, it gives you appreciation for how other people do business. Um, and I, I think being over here and seeing a few other things along with the AT has definitely increased my mental health. And, you know, I've really started to try and get a routine off the ground. Um, like you said, Dora, I it helps me, it enables me to do everything else. So I, I think finding your own I don't want to call it self-care or mental health or whatever routine works for you to where it helps you get through the day because of whatever reason, then I, I think everyone needs to find that and work hard on it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, can can agree more. Um, mate, we're going to start closing this down a little bit. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Well, I, I, I think for me... Um, like I said, I haven't had any kind of a extraordinary career. I think just the mental the mental health aspect of it is it needs to be okay for people to self-assess and realize, one, they're not where they necessarily want to be or that something's wrong. I think especially in the military, well, our side anyways, that people are hesitant to have those conversations with their you know, junior Marines or with their senior Marines. If you know, you've got something going on with you, a lot of people don't want to put their hand in the air and just be like, you know, can I talk to you on the side? You know, this is what's going on because they don't want to be seen to be complaining. They don't want to be that person. So I think there's a stigma in the world to where admitting something's not okay. I mean, you're not, you're not making excuses. You're just like, this is where I'm at. Any pointers or anything um, that you can contribute would be, would be helpful. I think that it's important for leaders of all levels, you know, of any countries to know what's going on with your people, you know, going on with your Marines and, and to get them where they need to be. I don't mean like referring them to someone else. I mean, helping them, you know, lead coach mentor, like you, you, you need to be able to have people skills to get someone where they want to be in life. If that's 20, 30 years in the core, then it's that. If it's, well, I want to do my time and I want to do something else, well, help them do that. I think uh, the way I've tried to operate uh, is that anybody I come into encounter, anyone I come into contact with, um, if I have any kind of leadership position with them, is to make them better or help them become better than I ever was. And I, I, I think somewhere along the way that didn't become okay. To where you've got people, yeah, I'm, I'm going to train you and I'm going to make you good, but I don't want you to be as good as me. 
but that's how we evolve. So especially in the military, and I saw that when you know I was at three three, and I saw the young guys coming in. I was like, man, they're you know I I feel like at least mentally and training wise, they're probably a bit more you know a higher level that I got trained to when I was younger, and I kind of took that as a mindset. Well, I want the next person I train to grow up and be way better than I was and make better decisions. You know, I'm, you look back, I'm 38 years old. I'm in the process of buying my first house. How many people I've ever given advice as far as, yeah, you should invest in real estate. You should do this. You should do that. Yeah. I'm 38 years old. I'm still going through college and you've got plenty of senior enlisted and, you know, even officers out there saying, Oh yeah, you know, you should go to college. You should better yourself. But, what are they doing to better themselves? So you, you get tired and it's a long old process. I've been doing college for some time now, um, whittling away at it. But you you have to do it for yourself and show others that it's okay to do it. And uh, I, I think that's really the stigma. It's nothing game changing. It's nothing like life altering catchphrase. But you've, you've got to come up with a routine. You know, in training jujitsu with you, you know, uh, Jimmy C, a few others. Um, head coach of the Royal Marines out here, you know, Jimmy Johnson, you know, being out, having that opportunity to expose to a high level of formalized jujitsu. You know, we'd always, we do ground fighting. You do ground tactics. You have techniques that you use both in your syllabus and our syllabus is you've got that, but like the sport, I guess you'd call it of jujitsu really starting to immerse myself in that is is definitely one for my mental health. And I know you use it as well. Water's too cold for me to surf out here, bro. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll put my hand in the air. It's too cold out here. That's why you have decent <laughs> wetsuits, mate. Yeah. Ah, it's but too much admin. Five mil boots, gloves, hood. <laughs> yeah. I just need a, well, we don't need face masks anymore because we've got them. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We'll, You're we'll sorted. Uh, COVID compliant. But uh, I, I've really started also getting into uh, yoga and meditation. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not shy of saying it. It's just five minutes a day to, uh, to get your head right and focus on the day, whether it's, you know, listen to a podcast on the way home or taking a minute before you drive home. So you don't take work home with you. Like it, I think it's important to people to take ownership of that, um, and find what works for them. Absolutely. Mate, it's been a pleasure knowing you. Um, not that I'm not going to know you after this. Yeah, but, you're going to forget uh, me five minutes after I leave. Eh? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's been good learning from you too um the the way that you do things and you know i think it's good having these comparisons where or the or the crossover drafting is good but on a, on a personal note you know yeah it's it's been it's been a pleasure um to get to know you and uh yeah i just hope my admin's never going to be as bad as yours <laughs> yeah yeah i'm definitely a slow learner when it comes to that so uh I think being over here has helped with that, you know, independent duty. There's no one to, uh, to delegate, you know, delegate to yourself. Although, uh, I think my wife would, uh, disagree with that statement. She feels like she gets delegated a lot and feels like she's half my secretary and, you know, God bless Ellen for, uh, for staying the course. And, uh, dude, like meeting you, hanging out with you, training with you, uh, has been an honor and, you know, just having this job is, has been something special for my life. And, uh, yeah, man, nothing but good memories. Bo Hancock, it's been a pleasure, and thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks, brother. Cheers, buddy.
And that's it. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share and subscribe on your podcast provider. And also follow The Grumpy Surfer on Instagram. Thanks for listening.